Okay, perfect. Welcome to the Sober Heathen Podcast. I am the Sober Heathen, and this is going to be fun. I can tell it's going to be fun already. Um, might be a little different style of podcast today, and that's okay. Um, I have Kathy today. Kathy, where are you from? I, uh, I'm originally from Indiana. Right now, I live in North Jersey, Bergen County. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. All right. I, I'll put another <laughs> marker on my map. I got a little map. It's not up in this room currently, but I put a little marker on on where I've had people from. So I look forward to put another one marker in there. So you do a podcast. Um, what's it called? What What do you talk about? So my podcast is Gossip, Rumor, and Innuendo. It's a true crime podcast, sort of like a true crime comedy podcast. Basically, I watch true crime. I follow true crime. And then I nobody in my family cares about true crime. They're just like, <laughs> Alex, who? What? Like, they don't care anything about it. And I needed to talk about it. So I just started talking about it uh, to my telephone alone in my living room at like (laughs) four in the morning every day. And it turns out people like that. Um, And so a couple of people have jumped on and joined me and we just talk mess about true crime and it's glorious. I love it. Oh my gosh. I I, I think Miley, my girlfriend is going to end up loving um, you you probably have a new follower because she likes watching stuff like that too. I, I was watching a little awesome. bit this morning and you used the term uh, a narcotics enthusiast. I thought that was yes. That was that was hilarious. <laughs> Cause manners, manners, you just can't be out here calling people crackheads. <laughs> okay. I mean, narcotics enthusiasts or people who are in the sales and marketing of narcotics. Oh my gosh. And then yeah, that that was the next thing that I wrote down. You talked about dealer confidentiality. And I thought that was freaking hilarious. You know, it's like, are there HIPAA laws that go into that? Exactly. <laughs> Some people are confused because this lady told all her personal business to her drug dealer and her drug dealer told the police. And I'm like, ma'am, ma'am, in case you were unclear, <laughs> there is no drug dealer confidentiality. See also no hairdresser confidentiality. We've seen a lot of people giving up the goods in true crime cases. <laughs> So in case people were confused, mm-mm, that's not a thing. <laughs> well, you think, you know, they're so trustworthy, right? They'll deliver to your front door. You know, you can call them anytime, <laughs> you know, as long as you got a couple bucks, they're your best friend, right? My dealers always felt like a safe space. Um, <laughs> turns out they were not the fine people that I thought they were. It was shocking to discover, but yeah, live and learn. Believe it. You know. I was always under the impression that the people behind the counter giving me the bottles, you know, were were buying my bullshit. You know, I would, I would, get, I would shave. I wouldn't do anything for days, but I'd get up in the morning, I'd shave, I'd put on a polo shirt and some khaki pants, and I'd go to this gas station this day, this gas station the next day, this party store the next day, and it was always the same line. It was like, well, it's my my day to buy all the alcohol for golfing. <laughs> Right, because you look so much like a golfer. The other half of that horrid triad is that you have to then go to all. I mean, I live I was living in a high rise in New York City and also in Indiana at the time when I was most active. So I would have to throw those bottles away strategically. 
because you can't just be in your hallway with like a big dumpster full of or a trash can full of empty bottles so I'm like I'm just gonna drop this one here and that one there right but in high school I would just throw them in the front yard and I would go mama these wine cooler and Zima bottles in our yard I will pick them up and put them in the recycling oh well that was nice of you right I was raised right yeah so I I was raised right there's a road when I was married, it went straight from our house, straight to the chemical plant that I worked at. And probably on the right hand side, which would have been the, um, it would have been the south side of the road. There are probably thousands, I mean, thousands of peppermint schnapps bottles on the side oh, of the road, because I would drink at night after I put everybody to bed, I'd slam my four half pints, chuck them out the window on the couch because I slept on the couch most of the time. And then I'd pick them up in the morning before everybody got up and I'd go to work. I'd be driving down the road. I'd wait to make sure nobody's behind me and I'd chuck one. Oh my God. Go a little farther, chuck another one. And I would I would like to go walk down that road one day and just see oh how many I Oh my God. It'd be like Easter. The litter bug of it all. I'm kind <laughs> of horrified. Here's the thing that is shocking to me, right? Like it, when people are in relationship, like, I mean, I got sober fairly young. I was in my 20s, I guess. The first time I went to rehab, um, I'm stunned at people who were able to like maintain relationships, keep a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner or whatever. I was not marriage material. I was nowhere close to marriage material. And I just assumed, well, clearly I have partnered for life with my several drugs of choice. And that's how this is going to be. So I'm amazed that you got married and had kids. Oh, that's it, well, stunning. So I think I went from um, a heavy drinker to alcoholic you know during the marriage when it wasn't that great okay you know what I mean and so my kids were born I thought that you know my drinking got, was getting heavier and heavier and then my kids are born I'm like oh well that'll solve it because I'm gonna I've always wanted kids I love I love my kids with everything and then you know they got home and they were safe and that it was just a fifth every night and then the, the marriage was, was kind of poop and uh, you know um I had a big part in that obviously, but I just don't sure. think that we were the right right fit. And so the drinking right. got worse and worse and worse. And I completely lost where I was going with this. So I guess it's a little, no, no, we were just talking about like partnering. I guess it's a little bit different for men because as a woman, I thought I could never not drink for nine months. And so hmm. there's no way I'll be able to have kids. Like the idea of being without my BFF, my substances yeah. of choice, because there were several for nine months was a, a non-starter for me. I mean, I was also having these thoughts as like a 19 year old before my drinking got, like I was drinking and it was inappropriate and whatever. It wasn't crazy, crazy. But even then I thought I couldn't go nine months without a drink. Somehow that never triggered in me. Therefore I should drink less or not drink. I right. thought, well, obviously I will just never have children. Um, and so, you know, and there, there you go. That was my thinking at the time. Thank God I changed my mind. Right. Sort of. I mean, I got accidentally pregnant a whole bunch of times. And so I got a bunch of kids. But um, <laughs> all of that happened in sobriety. The gifts right of sobriety are random accidental pregnancies sometimes. Isn't, isn't addiction amazing that you will give up the gift of children? Um, like, want that? Like, you know, like, I was hesitant for that too you know what I mean but yeah I yeah. also I also had a father-in-law at the time who was enjoyed his cocktails 
So I could do whatever I wanted when I went with him. So I was like, well, at least right. I got that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I was willing to give up the gift of everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Because I was like, one by one, things went away, people went away, situations went away. And I was like, well, I guess this is just going to how, how it's going to be. And I honestly got sober by accident. I was working a hustle um, and accidentally ended up in therapy. Because okay. I, my first my first sort of issue, I mean, child, there have been many. I, like, I'm anonymous all over town, but you know. Um, but my first issue was food. I was like anorexic, bulimic, doing that whole thing. And I was like, what I should get is some therapy to help me figure out this food thing. And I called my insurance company and they were like, are drugs and alcohol an issue? As I chugged a bottle of wine, I was like, absolutely not. And they said, oh, well, your copay will be whatever. And I was like, I'm not spending money on this new <laughs> thing I'm trying out. And so a few months later when I called, they asked the same question. And I was like, I wonder why they're asking this question. I'm clearly not an alcoholic, but I'll say yes on the grounds that like maybe I'll get a lower copay. Yeah. And so I said, yes. And they were like, oh, well, can you come in today? And I was like, how much is this going to cost me? And they said nothing. And I was like, oh, well, yes, sure. Alcohol's a problem. And I sat there in the lobby of this intake center thinking, God, how am I going to convince them? Okay, maybe if I tell them this bad story or that bad situation, right. they'll be convinced that I'm an alcoholic when really I know I'm not. And I, I didn't, I was like, you know what? I'm living an honest life. I will just tell the truth. And when they say no, I will live with that no. And I told the truth and they were like, can you go today? We're going to have somebody escort you across town to this other, because we need to you know, put you in rehab today. And I was like, wait, well, me? Wow. I'm adorable. I could not possibly. Shows how much I knew. <laughs> did you have people when you went in, did you have people tell you like, wow, you don't seem like somebody that should be in treatment? Did you ever hear that? No. No, <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. People were like, welcome, girl. Welcome. I mean, yeah. but I was, I looked very, like, I looked like a narcotics enthusiast. I was very thin. My cheeks okay. were sunken in. My hair, my skin was gray. My hair was falling out. And people were like, oh, this is from alcohol? Girl. But yeah. that was from anorexia and from other things I was doing to my body. Okay. And so on an empty stomach, alcohol does terrible things. Sure. And my behavior and the results of my behavior were really just, you know, off this, off the charts. So people, my people in my life were like, oh, thank God. So it I, got I have, better from there. Well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad it did. You know, I, I asked that question because I had heard that a couple of times when I was in treatment and it pissed me off, especially when I was like ready to get, make the change. You know what I mean? And yeah, we don't seem like somebody that should be here. And it's like, what the hell does that mean, dude? Like. I was, I, I was buying a half gallon and two pints at the end of it. You know what I mean? Like that, and the, yep. the pint was to grease the wheels for the rest of it. And, yep. and, and they're like, holy shit. And it's like, man, just people are just, I, I, I just had to ask because I was, I was curious. So you, I mean, like I went, I went, I went to a, like a, I did IOP first for a year. Okay. Um, and the IOP that I was in was on like Park Avenue or Madison Avenue. It was some fancy address in New York City. So I was there with a bunch of other people who didn't look like they belonged in a program like that. So I don't think I was so, you know, drastically different than anybody. It was like, you know, oh, this guy has a famous dad and this one is a fancy this and a lawyer and a whatever. So I, I mean, I was a customer service rep, but um, I blended, oh, I mean, yeah. you know. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it affects all walks of life. And that's, it's just, it was kind of like, man, why in the hell are you saying that to me? Um, oh, shit. Now I, I drew another blank. Oh, I wanted to mention something too for you and, and everybody else. And maybe you know this already, but I, I work as a recovery coach and we had mm-hmm. somebody come in because you were talking about um, being open about your uh, alcohol consumption and it being free. Well, I had this, she's a, a, a beautiful young girl that came in super young you know she's got a couple kids or whatever and she was super emotional she just wanted some therapy she wanted some help and so yep. i'm doing the intake and i'm like all right so how about uh drugs and alcohol what's your drug uh, nothing really and i'm like so you don't have any any issues with drugs or alcohol she's like i you know i, I drink a couple times a month maybe and i don't smoke pot and i don't do this or that like she legit didn't have one so I'm like, I don't know if we can help you because this is an outpatient facility for substance use. And right. She, she just started just bawling. She's like, so I don't have a problem with substances. I can't get help. She's like, just, she's like, I'm so, I'm so tired of this. And I'm like, hold on one second. So when I talked to my boss, she's like, does she, does she drink at all? And I was like, well, she, she said a couple times a month. She's like, okay, there you go. So I was like, okie dokie. So I went back in, I finished the intake. I wrote down that, you know, alcohol, you know, uh, is in is part of her life. And we were able to get her in and get her some, get her some help. It's just, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if we could help people out before they have to, you know, ruin themselves? Right, right. I'd like people talk about hitting bottom. I've heard in meetings and rooms and whatever for year, years, people talking about hitting bottom. Um, and honestly, I don't, personally believe in the concept of hitting bottom. I lived at bottom. There was no hitting. It was home. I looked around and I was like, okay, you know, choosing to, okay, I'll never have kids. I'll never have a partner. I'll stay at a dead end job, whatever. Um, My entire life was me and that bottle. And that's where I lived. By the time I went to get therapy, it's not that I was drinking obsessively. It was the fact that when I did drink, the things that happened in my life, I wasn't drinking every day that I recall. Who knows? It was a long time ago now. But the results that it was having in my life were so catastrophic. And that's what, to me, that's what made me an alcoholic. That's what made me a drug addict. Yeah. Um, if, if somebody did it by volume, you know, I might still be out there right. living God knows where. Absolutely. But yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that because, you know, it's 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 not of uh, it's not a measuring contest on this. It's not a competition, right? If it's if the substance is negatively affecting your life, and you want to get help, then that's all that matters, you know. And I absolutely, I'm sure you've seen the back and forth I've had recently with people and this whole real alcoholic thing. You know, it drives me nuts. Like if somebody is if somebody wants some help, and they go get it. That's great. And how they get that help is all that matters to them and all that matters. Absolutely. And doesn't, I don't Absolutely. Yeah. I've seen a lot of the conversations you had that have really struck me. A lot of the stuff that you guys are talking about on, on your podcast. Um, I'm just like, yes, yes. Where was this 20 years ago when I was saying and thinking the same things about is AA the only way? Do you have to do everything in this very prescribed way? Yeah. If you do all the steps and things aren't perfect in your life. Does that mean that like you did the steps wrong? Like all of these are the conversations that I struggled with for so long of like, wait, hang on. Um, Things are not perfect. So perfect as I define them, right? Some people say, oh, you're done. You're not drinking. So everything is fine. 
but it's like all the stopping drinking meant that I had to face all the reasons that I drank the bad relationships, the dead end job, the terrible boyfriends, all of that stuff. Um, and so I was like, right, I needed steps help to deal with some of that, but like real life, personal work, therapy, taking a, an, um, uh, medication for like yeah. my mental health issues. All of that stuff is what I needed. Yes. And if somebody else doesn't need it, God bless. That's not oh, my yeah. business, mm -hmm. but that's the stuff that I needed, you know? Yeah. I, and I think there's a, you know, what I'm coming to realize through my recovery, through working in um, an outpatient facility and talking to so many people on social media is that there's a lot of added pressure in some of these peer groups and AA in particular, you know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. a lot of added pressure and there's a lot of things that if you make a certain choice now, all of a sudden, okay, what are these people going to say? What are these people going to think? And you don't really right. need that. You know what I mean? I, I didn't need that, you know, and every slip relapse, whatever you want to call it that I had early on was compounded with guilt because I was under the understanding that, okay, well, I just had 33 days and I relapsed. Those 33 days are gone. And now I'm starting right. completely over. And that's crap because I figured right. out how to do it for 33 days. And then, you know, the 33 days before that was a fifth every single day minimum before that. So how is that not, you know, how is that not recovery? How is that not, you know, progress? You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. Right. It's it's sort of the progress, not perfection. And I think the part, the thing that people sort of miss or forget about is the take what you want and leave the rest. Sure. You know, I've heard like, take what you want and leave the rest, but you better take it. You know, but I'm like, yeah, this part of it over here, this part of it works for me. And that sure. part over there really is not a good fit for me. And so instead of me guilting myself or guilting others, I mean, I have sponsees or whatever, and I'm obviously a very non-traditional sponsor. I'm not like, you've got to do these steps right away. you got to do this and this and this and this. Um, I stuck around and I surrounded myself with people who had lives that I wanted to emulate. Some of those people were in 12-step rooms. Some of those people are not. Oh, well, hang on. Then to voicemail. <laughs> hang on. Did I, I just had a call come in. Um, I, in. I sort of took the AA model of Find somebody who has what you want and ask them how they're getting it. I absolutely did that in 12-step rooms. I absolutely did that in OA rooms. I did that with friends who were better at money than me. I did that with friends who were better at, you know, dating and relationships than me. I have what I call the council of wise women. or and They're not even all women. Some of it is gay guys. But, like, when I have an issue, I'm, I'm like, oh, this thing is happening at work. This thing is happening in my relationship. I go to my council and it's a very small, close group. And I say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Yes. And then I sort of put that in my brain and then proceed accordingly. And then I take whatever comes out of that. So if it works out great, great. If it works out and it's crap, then I'm like, okay, I made a choice. Yep. Um, so I take what works for me out of AA and the rest of it, I let somebody else have that because maybe that's going to be brilliant for somebody else. Absolutely. That doesn't mean it has to be brilliant for me. Absolutely. I, and I really like what you said too, because I, I say it a lot too, that having multiple people to talk to, you know, that's so important to get different perspectives. I think if you yep. shoehorn yourself into this one person, this one, I got to call my sponsor and ask this one person, you're getting one perspective on it. Right. So, right. 
uh, my last sponsor, who was like, uh, he was older than me, so he could have been like an uncle or something. You know what I mean? Uh, loved, mm-hmm. him. loved him. You know, I trusted him. I called him every single day. He was the only person that I called every single day from treatment. Oh, well, not well, every day that I could. Um, mm-hmm. you know? And I listened to what he said. I gave in and listened to what he said. And he ended up making a choice for me um, by saying things that weren't true to Miley, who's my girlfriend. Um, you know what I mean? Well, he he had said that I was offering women sexual favors for alcohol toward the end. And, wow. Uh, okay. And I was such a drunk that I was like, fuck, did I do that? So <laughs> like, I'm maybe like, I did and I forgot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. I was like, okay, so, you know, because I was desperate because, you know, people were taking my keys and my money. So I'm like, did I do that? So I'm looking through my phone. I can't find any messages. And so when I finally reached out to him to say, hey, we need to talk, and he kept delaying it, delaying it, finally I sent him a, a, a text and said, okay, this is what I want to talk about. And then I never heard from him again. So evidence would suggest that he had decided that our relationship was bad for me. And so he took it upon himself to separate that relationship because I was thriving. I moved, I went up to treatment, I was two and a half hours away, and I was I was starting to thrive. And so that justified mm-hmm. his his thought process. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying that's going to happen to everybody, but the whole point right. was to if you have multiple people, uh, you know, you have that close circle, that council, as you called it, of, you know, five, six people, and they're all saying the same thing. Well, then you can say, okay, these people know me and they're suggesting about the same thing and then you can go about it. The other thing is, right. have you found that when you say that you want some, what other people have, did that evolve over time? Maybe you wanted what this person had and then now, okay, maybe I don't want that. I want this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because my life has grown and changed. I got I got sober the first time in 1996, 97. I don't know, somewhere in there. Because I don't count. Like I never, people are like, you have to count days. You have to celebrate anniversaries. I have no idea. I oh, have yeah. no idea. And so initially I was like, I just really want to be able to go 24 hours without a drink. Yes. Um, and then I was like, oh, I did that like kind of easily, not as easy as I thought it was going to be, but like easier than I had hoped. Right. And then, so I was like, okay, somebody who's gone 48 hours without a drink, like, oh my God, like that's who I want to follow. And then in time I was like, you know what? I want somebody who is not drinking or using drugs or substituting with other substances and has like a good relationship with their friend who has been able to choose a good job, who has a nice, nice life. And honest to God, because I'm shallow, my very first sponsor, I chose her because she was a rich lady. I was like, this is New York City. It's a bunch of broke people around here. I want to be like that rich lady. Turns out she had a rich daddy and she could not give me that, but she could (laughs) teach me some other things about choosing partners and who I surrounded myself with things having nothing to do with money necessarily. But she, in addition to having like a, you know, she drove an SUV. I had like a bag full of tokens. This was back in the day to ride the subway. Um, She taught me what it looked like to have um, a sane life, a not dramatic life. I, she said to me, you don't have to live crisis to crisis. And I was like, Wait, what? It never occurred to me that it was not an option not to live crisis to crisis. I always lived crisis to crisis. I thought everyone lived crisis to crisis. And she's like, yeah, you don't have to live crisis to crisis. And I was like, holy smokes. 
And so I learned that. And then she went off. I don't even know where she is today, but um, she was so instrumental in shaping the way I saw the world. And then I had a therapist and I, he was like, you know, you have to heal this relationship with your family and you need to be nicer to your mother and you need, you know, whatever with your father. And I was like, listen, my parents, for better or worse, were not, it, it's not a great match for me. And he said to me, let the, let the rooms be the good mother. And I was like, hmm? And he was like, all the, they didn't give you, your, mommy and dad didn't give you enough hugs or whatever it is. Let the rooms be the good mother. And I was like, oh, there are, that first sponsor, some of the ladies that I met, some of the situations that I've been in, they have parented me from the time I was in my early 20s, literally until today, I'm 50, I'll be 54 this year. I'll be 54 in June. And because I was parented in those rooms, I have been able to parent other, particularly young people, particularly young mothers. And that's not that like, you know, I'm not paying for your college, but um, <laughs> I can give you the benefit of my wisdom when you ask for it, right? Yeah. And I can give you parental type wisdom. And then you take that and do what you will with it. You, you'll use it, you'll throw it away, whatever. I'm just giving you the benefit of my wisdom. And so little bits here and there, I've been able to get all of the things that I need. And I've allowed that to evolve. Right on. So yeah. let's, let's go back uh, a little bit to the, uh, you're not counting your days. Right. Um, I, I quit after a year. That was like my... I got to get this year. I got to be able to do mm -hmm. this for a year. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not getting, I'm not collecting any coins. I'm not going to post my days on social media, you know, every month. I'm, I'm just not doing that anymore because yeah, for me, my fear is that something happens and I lose the time that I put in because I don't really lose it. But there's that mindset, you know, and that's the impression you get from a lot of people in, in certain circles. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't want that. But so mm -hmm. you, you're not counting your time, you know, um, and you talked a little bit about it. You know, what, if you could revisit that, what, what, do we, what do you say to people when you say, yeah, I'm not really sure, but it's been a minute. Um, I, yeah, I got sober before my first baby was born. That I know. Um, he was he is 20 he'll be 26 this year oh, so God. like before he was born i got sober um in fact i was writing out my steps um I, it took me five years to do steps and finally i was like okay i'll do steps. and i did steps in a group of women and i was doing my it was a step workbook at the time i'm doing my yeah. steps in the step workbook and um the dude who lives across the street from me uh, shot and killed his entire family and I was home and I heard it Thanks. and I was like okay here's a real step a, a real test of my sobriety and a friend of mine came over to comfort me in the wake of this murder and he was so comforting that I got pregnant so um <laughs> I know that it and I was sober when that happened like literally that's the only point of reference that I had I had been sober for a couple of years before that and I had about two years and I was like, I got two years, like I'm doing good. And I was dating a guy and he broke up with me and I had just like two glasses of white wine. Cause can't a lady just drink two glasses of white wine if she wants to, was my thinking. And I had that little bit of white wine and it reacted with my brain and whatever else was oh. happening. And I had a psychotic break. And I was like, 
Okay, so we don't, I mean, when I finally was lucid enough and out of the hospital and all of that other stuff, I was like, I'm creating a new life for myself. That two years worth of everything that I learned, that didn't go away, but it took six weeks for me to be six, eight weeks. It was a long time before I was mentally stable again. So I was like plodding my way through that. Um, And so when I got sober, when I stopped drinking that second time, I was like, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the time. It's just about being really, really present in this day. The first chip I took at a meeting, I think was a five-year coin. I don't even remember. And then I didn't collect another one for many, many years. I think I have a 19 around here somewhere. Like, And the, the ironic thing is, some a friend of mine was like, you should count your days. It's for the newcomer. It's for the newcomer. And so that year, I went back to my old diaries and I figured out, oh, I'm 21 years sober. And so I got a 20. I, we were talking about my 21st sober anniversary. And I struggled the most that year because I thought I'm 21. I should drink. Like you, you, you can drink when you're 21. Right. And I was like, this is some crazy thinking. And it never would have occurred to me if I didn't know I was 21 years sober. And right. so I was like, I need to let these numbers go and be sober this morning, be sober right now, be sober in this moment. And so that's what I've done since, you know, that time. And like I said, it was in the 90s. It's all I know. It, I, I, it's been a long time. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? You know, you, you went, you did the math, 21 years. I've done this for 21 years. Yeah, why not? If I can quit for 21 years, right. I can have a weekend, right? Right. Fuck it. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, I could oh, stemware. There will be stemware. About, they've invented new drinks in the last 20 years. I'm sure I should try some of those. What is this? There was, I don't remember what it was now, but there was like some fancy cocktail that everyone was talking about. It was an eni something. I was like, I want to have one of those enies, like an apple martini or a something. It was an eni. And I was like, I could have an eni. And then I was like, what am I doing? I got a house. I got a good job. I have a husband. I have a kid. A kid. I have a bunch of kids. We have four sons, four accidental pregnancies. Um, I'm partnered well. Like, I didn't want a husband. I just wanted to be partnered well. I wanted to be partnered in a good job. I wanted to be partnered with like good friends um, and partnered with a good guy. And ultimately um, that became a marriage. But I was like, I just want to have a good, nice life. And so whatever the numbers are, they are. What I know is that I'm sober today. I did not drink yesterday. I have no plans of drinking today. And that has to be enough for me. And that, that's absolutely enough. You know, uh, you, you can have 20 years in your back pocket, but you can't pull them out and, and cash them in to save you from today. Right. So absolutely. I, I, I think it's awesome. And, you know, I celebrate the amount of time that you have. That's amazing. You know what I mean? It, but it, for me as a newcomer, it's like I cannot fathom 20 some years of, of recovery. Right. I can barely fathom 24 hours of recovery. So sometimes... <laughs> You know, I, I only got six days, you know, like this guy just went up and got his 90 day chip. This person just got their one year chip. It, it feels like it's a, a hopeless endeavor. And I, I, I just right. I think sometimes, at least for me, I know that that had a negative impact. Right. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's good to to talk about, you know, uh, you counted up the time. It was 21 years and then your mind went like that. Right. So 
one thing that I've been struggling with is my anxiety and trying to figure out a way to 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 beat that because it, it's just I've come to find out that my anxiety is then the root cause of so much crap in my life. Yeah. And so I've been trying a bunch of meds and a few months back, uh, probably a little more than a few months back, probably uh, like last July, <clears throat> um, it was so bad that I was talking with Miley and I'm like, let's stop at this cannabis store right here by your house. I'm going to go in and talk to these people because I got to do something because meds aren't working. Right. You know, my doctor sucks. So I went in and talked to this guy and he explained some things to me. So I came out with a bag of chocolates and uh, he's like, if you don't do this stuff very often, bro, you know, you're only going to want to eat half of one of these. And I was like, okay. So I came home, I ate half one and nothing happened. So I was like, eh, well, maybe it's not for me. Like a week later, Miley and I both decided to eat a whole one. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. And my thoughts, the best way to describe it, like my thoughts were in color. And my brain was like, so, I don't know, I want to say creative almost, but it was like, my thoughts were just like coming to me like crazy. And Miley was hilarious, you know, and but I didn't like it because I, I didn't feel in control. And so that bag has been sitting on the counter since July. When right. I took the last one. And so my mind tells me, well, dude, that bag of uh, uh, hot candy or whatever you want to call it is uh, out there. And you've just left that alone. You had one and a half and you've left it alone. You can do that with alcohol too, dude. But it's <laughs> alcohol gave me something completely different than this did. But I would just yeah. point out, you know, counting time was was something that kind of triggered you a little bit. And me trying something else that, you know, definitely in the rooms of AA would be frowned upon. But I wasn't mm -hmm. doing it. My intent wasn't to go out to get a high. My intent was to deal with something else. And, you know, only I know what my intent is, right? I can say, right, tell everybody right, of that's course. My intent. But I know in my heart, that's what it was. So, but now mm -hmm. I found meds. I found a psychiatrist. I've, I've gotten meds, and I've never felt. I was going to say, did you find well. a good doctor who could yeah, get I you? Yeah, I did. Like about three weeks ago, I've been on a different med, and I finally, I sleep. Awesome. Yeah, and my anxiety is almost non-existent. So, I just, I, I just wanted to point that out because it's okay for weird things to trigger you. You, I don't, right. want, you know, my message would be, don't freak out about it. You know, talk to somebody about it if, if that's what you do, or just explore it write it down the biggest thing that helps me is a journal to write yeah. down like today dude the world and my life is fucked and i have no idea why but that's how i feel and then yeah and it, and it helps i mean honestly the best thing that i've learned from recovery it like they talk about the toolbox right like you load up your toolbox and writing has helped at times and then it didn't help at other times and talking to other people going to meetings like all of these things sometimes work sometimes don't i constantly have to pull new tools out of that toolbox like let me try this tool let me try that tool and maybe four or five years ago i had to say my anxiety went from like a tiny little something in the back you know in the back of my mind to just big and fully in color and i was at my doctor's office and she said, so what's going on? And I could not stop crying. And it's yeah. not like me to be, I mean, I might cry over a sad movie or something, but just to be like heaving, I cannot stop crying. And she was like, yeah, it sounds like you're experiencing some anxiety. And I was like, I don't want to take anything. And she said, listen, I'm going to give you the lowest dose of this anti-anxiety medication. 
And years ago, I was diagnosed with bipolar. And so I was like, yeah. I, what about the bipolar? And what about the this and the that? And she was like, and I haven't needed medication for bipolar for a suit. They took it off. They took me off of it when I was pregnant with my first baby. And I've never gone back on it. And I've been fine with like behavior modification and listening to my body and all of that stuff. And God knows if I need it, I would take it immediately. But I was like, I've done really well managing without like lithium or Depakote or whatever. What is this effects are going to do to me? And she said, we'll start her off on a small dose and we'll see what happens. And it just turned down the anxiety it, within the first week. It was like oh, hair on fire to like, oh, instead of being at a 10, it was at a five. And then it was at a three. And now it's probably at like a zero to a one. Yeah. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I'm feeling great. I think I should go off of this. And she was like, honey, a global pandemic is probably not the time to go off of your anxiety medication. And I was like, right, that is some wisdom that I would not have come up right. with on my own. <laughs> so I'm glad that I had somebody to reach out to right. and have that conversation. But I have sponsees who were like, oh, and now it says my battery is low. Let me plug this in. I have sponsees who live in terror of taking medication. And I'm like, for me, sobriety means going out there and doing everything and anything I need to do to keep my life sane and happy and moving in the right direction. And if that means I'm taking a little bit of a whatever from the doctor, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. And and yeah, um, you probably know this, but I like to mention it again, depending on who's listening. They may not know this, but. You know, when Bill W. created AA, him and Dr. Bob, you know, he was days sober, right? And so that's when it all began. Yeah. But years later, Bill was still struggling with anxiety and depression. He went to medical doctors and took LSD through the mm -hmm. doctors to deal with his anxiety and depression. That's where he had his, like, huge, like, spiritual awakening. And, you know, um, I don't, I want to make sure that people understand that LSD then, you know, could be prescribed through a doctor you know it's not a legal drug like it is today so he did right. not saying that he was doing bad things he did what he needed to do to get his mm -hmm. life in order and to live his best life and so don't be shy from getting professional help and and you know what i mean if, if you're somebody that struggles with taking your pills like i do like i don't overtake them i forget to take some of the bitches but if you're somebody mm -hmm. that might be tempted if it's a pill that to, to do more than that Again, the the like you said, just be as honest as possible about it with your doctor. And there's other options that they can do. There's uh, there's the Vivitrol shot. There's other things that people can do to help you with those things too. Mm hmm. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. The whole goal, the entire reason that I started getting sober and changing my life was because I wanted a better life. Right? I wanted to be able to show up. I wanted to be able to participate. After I had that first baby, I thought, oh, I really want to be partnered. And I would really like to maybe have some more kids. I wanted to move out of an apartment in the city to a house in the suburbs. Like I wanted a better job. I wanted a really nice life for myself. Yeah. I, you know, they talk about like, oh, I'm going to have this life beyond my wildest dreams. This much time on, like I'm living a life that I didn't know to dream of. It's so much bigger than I ever imagined. There are things that happen to me on a daily basis that I'm like, if I had set and thought of what I wanted, I could not have thought of this. Yeah. 
Right. Now, that's not to say it's all perfect. That's not to say that things don't go wrong. Um, initially, I thought I could be sober as long as nothing happens. I'm never late. Uh, no one's ever mad at me. I never get fired from a job because I've spent at this point a big chunk of my adult life sober. The worst things in the world that have happened to me have happened while I was sober. The difference is I have a big old toolbox to deal with it. Yeah. Like when my neighbor killed his family, my toolbox was different than it is today. I probably wouldn't go out and have a baby with a dude I barely know. Um, that's not a tool of recovery, just in case you wonder. Um, but I dealt with that situation sanely and soberly, and I made the right decisions for myself at that time and continue to make other right decisions on that path. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, evolution you know, of, of everything. You know what I mean? You got to be really Absolutely. To, to change with the times. Absolutely. And it, you know, it just keeps changing. It just, everything is different all the time. You know, this morning I got, I was opening some old mail and I realized I had not paid my student loan payment in three months. And I was like, wait, what? That's happened. <laughs> but like, it was an auto draft and I changed banks and whatever, whatever. And part of me was just like, oh my God, you know, fear of financial insecurity. And, um, it's not like I had three months worth of payments just sitting there, you know, like I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to send these people what I can send them and I'm going to keep it moving. Whatever it is. Right. I just take life on life's terms. And that doesn't mean that I have to like it, but no. I have to do it. No, no. Yeah. Life on life's terms. There's, there's a lot of things, you know, and journaling helps me with it to understand what yeah. I can change and what I cannot. There are some things yeah. that I can't change. And, and I, for me, I have to be careful not to roll over because there are things that I can change and I don't want to get, you know, I, I don't want to step back and just let things roll over me either. And that right. goes in, right. So, um, but there's absolutely things that are out of our control, like, like forgetting to pay the bill. All you can do is send them a little money and they're going to be happy. You know, it doesn't have to be yep. the, the term I like um, that learned in uh, somebody said in treatment was awfulize everything. Like you could have totally mm -hmm. awfulize that to like, few months behind oh my god you know, you know right just let it just completely implode so right yep. right and it's funny because i have kids and i mean our kids are my stepson's 34 my oldest bio kid is 26 the other boys are 19 and 16 right so they've been they've only known me as a sober parent and i hear them talk to each other and to their friends and i hear them talk in aa Right. They're not calling it AA. Yeah. They're not like going, oh, now we're going to do some steps. They're like, listen, I, I got to own my part. I got to, you know, I just got to take it as it comes. They say these things. And part of me is like, oh, my God, have my kids secretly been in meetings? <laughs> um, but it's like I hear them reflect back what they've heard in this house. It's mm -hmm. just sort of in the air. And my, my husband is not a sober person. There's probably alcohol in my refrigerator right now. I don't even know. But like he yeah. drinks beer, he drinks garbage liquor. He's like, oh, there's a bottle of Alizé. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it looks gross. Um, <laughs> marijuana is legal in my state. Both he yep. and my son have marijuana cards or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't get in that business. That's not my business. So y'all want to smoke? They have like, there's a, there's a man cave out in the backyard. So they go out to the, their little smoke shack. They smoke, they do what they do. But 
for both of them, it's like, oh, they hit a little something. And then if they don't for three months, it's like no big deal to them. And I'm like, first of all, that's fascinating. I don't know nothing about that moderation life when it comes to drugs and alcohol. Sure. But um, that's their stuff. That's their thing. And they, they go on and they live the rest of their life. And all I ever wanted to do was just go on and live the rest of my life in a good way, you yeah. know? And in yeah. a way that tickles me. And like a lot oh, yeah. of things... I find hilarious. I see people watching these true crime cases like I follow and they're like, they awfulize it, right? They're like, this guy did this thing and let's all weep together. And I'm like, right, girl, but did you see what she was wearing? Like, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah. I want to, there's gotta be another way. Yeah. I want to, I want to, before we, before we go, I want to, I want to hear, you know, uh, what the, what the hot true crime story is before we go. Um, because I, oh my I was, God. you were talking about the guy that jumped over the, uh, the bench at the judge or whatever and hit her with an unknown object. And you're like, did he hit her with the gavel? And I, I was like, oh my God, what if it, he Spider-Man over that thing and grabbed it on the <laughs> way through and then tried to be Thor, you know, in the next, in the next, I, I, I could just see it in my head. So, uh, that case first, is crazy. Yeah. But before we cut, I, I want to thank you for coming on here because it, uh, I, I, and I do like what you said about uh, you hear the AA things, you know, you can call it AA things, you can call it therapy things. That's what I want my children. I want to hear those things from my kids because I am a yeah. different dad than I was three years ago when I was seeing them all the time and every other weekend. Um, mm-hmm. Things that used to piss me off don't piss me off anymore. You know, I'm not on edge. I'm not worried about where my bottles are. I'm not pissed off yeah. that. I, you know, I, I got to take five minutes to take the trash out instead of being able to sip on my drink or whatever. Just really stupid things to get mad at. And, um, you know, I, I, I know I'm a good dad. I was a good dad back then. I was just making some pretty shitty decisions, some pretty shitty choices, right? Mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. But I want them, I want to hear that. I want to hear them, like, analyze and work through things to not, to not to get to where I was. Because I know yeah. from my family history, the little bit that I know of it, um, I was just treading the family line. You know, I was just walking that same road of everybody else, not dealing with my anxiety, my depression, my anger issues, my family issues. I want right. my kids to, you know, you know, when they say, dad, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not ready to come over and spend the night yet. Okay. Well, you know, if there's anything that I can help, you know, ease your, ease your comfort, I will do that. But until then, yep. you know, let's just keep talking and, and, and we'll work through it. You know what I mean? You know, I'm not going to get offended because I created this shit show. So, yeah, I absolutely. Really yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. So, what's what's the hot topic in true crime uh, today? Okay. On, on Sunday, <laughs> my favorite favorite case that's happening right now is one that is uh, the Treehouse murder case down in Key West, Florida. Everybody was high in this story. Every single person. I don't know how they remember anything at all, but a lady was living in a treehouse that was not really it wasn't really a tree it wasn't really a house she was an unhoused woman living on a platform that they called the tree house and somebody came in to rob her of her drugs and her money she was having um some breakfast crack with her friends and so the two of them are high and a guy comes up and is like give me all the drugs give me the money and so she screams help help and her friend who was getting high with her was like help Go give them the money, give them the drugs. And so she turns over this stuff, and then her treehouse landlord, her tree lord, 
comes up and is like, what are you doing? You're robbing my drug dealer. So he gets stabbed. Everybody runs off. People get arrested. And now all these high people are like, I think he did it. I think he did it. Ultimately, a couple of people get arrested and carted off to jail. One guy says, it was not me. Yes, we were all high, but y'all can't prove it was me. And so he's in court in Florida defending himself. The entire situation is a full-on shit show. I'm loving every moment of it. Awesome. So we're going to have to look up the treehouse. Um, the treehouse murder. The treehouse murder. Okay. It's on Court TV. It's on, listen, it's on Gossip Rumor and Innuendo, my YouTube channel. Oh, I cover it every day. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, plug the, plug your uh, YouTube channel again. Um, So, because I, you know, I don't, I don't have the following you do yet, but I might be able to direct some people your way and it's really good. You're so sweet. It's very entertaining. You're so sweet. I am Gossip Rumor and Innuendo over there on the YouTubes. We just hit like 5,000 followers, which is crazy crazy um i'm loving it and we have merchandise and all kinds of stuff but really i'm just there to talk about true crime i'm also on x which is where i found you but i i'm not good at it i can't figure people like make comments and i'm like i don't even know what they're replying to (laughs) but um i loved your content when i first saw it and you and all of your guests or whatever are my sunday meeting i'm like oh i need a meeting let me go see what scott's up to um and then I'm also on Instagram, but I don't really post there that much. I maybe should more, but child, I got things to do. <laughs> I, see, I don't get Instagram. I have no idea. I'm completely lost on that thing. So I, yeah, I know, I know that's where it's at because that's where a lot of people have it. But I'm gonna stick with whatever that YouTube. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is my therapy session when I get on here and talk about what's going on with me and. And when I have great yeah. guests like yourself and other people that come on and share a little bit of the recovery, uh, it, it, you know, getting a, a, a DM about, you know, a guest that came on and, and how it helped somebody. I mean, there isn't, there isn't a paycheck that could make that um, any better. And, you know, I don't get a 100%. Paycheck I don't get a paycheck for this and that's okay. Yet. It's just, it's, yet. it's a, yet. And I, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, my Lindsay and Adam and stuff, you know, that we've talked about, cause we do a lot of lives now if we could get some sort of thing rolling with this, I would love to help people get to treatment because holy crap, if you have a job and a regular insurance to, to, to get into treatment to afford it um, is really hard to do. To get to treatment is really hard to do. I got so many people coming into my office that, you know, the bed's available on Thursday, but the courts have taken away their ways to travel. You know, they've alienated their oh. families. You know, they've, they've done all these things, you know, they've made choices oh, wow. that, that affected but they can't get to treatment. So right. love to do things like that. You know what I mean? And so that's the ultimate goal. But for right now, I'll, I'll take a great conversation with great people and, and, and share it and hope that uh, something we said can help somebody. So thank you very much, Kathy. For Absolutely. Coming Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this was, this is, this is awesome. I, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dive more into the true crime stuff. I want to look into this treehouse thing. So make sure you check out our uh, <laughs> podcast and uh, you can stay up to date with all the new true crime things that are going out there. Thanks again, Kathy. It was awesome. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.